And we are live for a new episode of the Electric Podcast. I'm Fred Lambert, your host, and I'm joined by Seth Wintraub, live from L.A. How are you doing, Seth? I'm good. All right. So you're in L.A. for the L.A. Auto Show. So we're going to get into that in a second. But first of all, I want to say a big thank you to Electrify America for sponsoring this episode of the Electric Podcast. They have the largest public fast charging network in the U.S. We're going to have a little bit more to say about them later on the show. Stay tuned for that. Um, but, yeah. Uh, we're going to start with a quick report from the Elioto show and the news that came out this week. Uh, we had said there, as I just mentioned, we had Scooter there. We had even our good old Jamie Dow was uh, uh, there for the first day of the show. So we got a, quite a good look at it. Uh, do you have any like general impression of the show so far? Well, COVID's going a little crazy uh, in Europe, and uh, I think there's some trepidation in Asia still. Um, you also have uh, CES coming up in two months, so that kind of slowed down, I think, the uh, the amount of news coming out of here. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk about Kia and Hyundai's uh, concept. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm here uh, largely uh, for the Porsche stuff, which I'm really excited about, but can't tell you about right now. Um, but we're going to have something next week, or I don't know what the time is, but it's going to be cool. Yes, announcement, which you know, like if if like typical fans, like we want to see where the Macan thing is coming. That's kind of the big news coming up from Porsche, and we, you know, that's probably going to be at the end of next year. So we're looking for news on that. But um, you know, the Taycan is still like an amazing vehicle, and uh, you know, they put a GTS model kind of between the uh, 4S and the uh, Turbo. Um, for those people who can't afford a Turbo, but you know. <laughs> can you know the before us is you know too small for them so uh yeah i mean we're, we're scrolling through the the thing now um it's got that cool roof thing that you can see right there um so yeah i mean there's still news popping out obviously disappointed at uh gm and chevy for not having a single ev or charging spot i mean even Stellantis had uh you know their plug-in hybrids uh, represented they didn't have any uh, fiat 500 e's usually that they have one of those like you know behind everything else you know near the bathrooms they didn't even have that this year so uh and you know the, the fiat 500 e is actually been updated in europe to something like pretty impressive um the one here is you know still running around town that they're being sold for like five five thousand bucks so uh city car yeah nice city car uh so anyway, uh, not quite as big at the LA Auto Show this year as previous years, but um, still noteworthy. Nonetheless, good to see some uh, car people, uh, you know, both from other publications and uh, the, some of the brands. So that was good. Yeah. So for, for what we can tell you right now about the GTS uh, Taycan that uh, they, they unveiled this week, uh, like Seth said, we're going to have a little bit more time with it soon and we're going to report more extensively on it. But uh, it's uh, it, it sits just below the turbo. Uh, of course, the, the nice thing like is that they, they feel confident enough basically uh, with the Taycan to give them the GTS moniker on it, which is, of course, uh, as more impact in the... Um, the gasoline versions of um, Porsche's lineup. It's uh, it's the same powertrain in terms of uh, the energy capacity. You have the top performance, 93.4 kilowatt hour battery pack that you'll find in the Turbo and, and, and Turbo S version. You have the 800 uh, volt uh, architecture. 
it's uh it's good they say for 213 miles of range 504 kilometers but that's on the WLTP standard um it, car generally less get a lot less on epa but porsche has been known to uh a kind of undershoot a little bit the epa and you can get more range out of it depending on what you're driving of course uh, so yeah, the, the main difference is you get a little bit less output out of the dual motor uh, system. You still get a dual motor system, but uh, the output is. Oh, I don't have it here. Uh, Five hundred and ninety horsepower instead of six seventy that you'll find in the turbo. So, yeah. So they took the rear motor of the the turbo and the front motor of the four uh, S to get to get that combination. Yeah, and you get a few uh, design accents, different design accents. We'll, we'll get a closer look to that, like I said, mm-hmm. next week. So a few other uh, EV news that came out of the Elevator show. You have the Nissan that announced, the kind of had the U.S. launch for the area, even though it's coming out next year. They released the price in all the, the different trims for, for the vehicle. Uh, it starts at $46,000 uh, MSRP. Of course, Nissan has a dealership model, so uh, final pricing is arranged with the dealerships. But the MSRP is forty-six thousand. That's for a front-wheel drive version with an eighty-seven kilowatt-hour battery pack. Well, actually, all version of an eighty-seven kilowatt-hour battery pack. It's your motors that that changes, and um, and the the feature, the package. Like so, some trims are attached to a specific feature package. Uh, different wheels, different stuff like that. Uh, different. Uh, uh, accessories, interior accessories, as you can imagine. Uh, so the first three version, the Venture Plus, the Evolve Plus, and the Premier all have just a front-wheel drive motor, and uh, it, they each have a 238 horsepower on that. It's an AC synchronous motor. Then you have the all-wheel drive version that uh, bumps you up to 389 horsepower, and this one starts at $59,000. So you have a quite the bump in pricing here uh still an interesting offering i think is um if you compare them to other crossovers in the segment electric crossover specifically uh you can compare it like people were calling it a, a model y killer of course that was always a, a bit ambitious uh but to be fair like tesla in the u.s they don't offer uh well, actually, with Tesla, that would be a rear-wheel drive version, but just a, a non-all-wheel drive version. So uh, you, you get, if, if you are okay with that, with non-all-wheel all-wheel drive, you can get a much cheaper electric um, crossover here that still get up to 300 miles of range. So the, the other version, the Evolve Plus and the Premier, have the bigger wheels, I think, and the, so they get a little bit less range, up to 285, they say. Uh, and uh, and that goes to 265 for the all-wheel drive version. So you do get a, a, a 20 miles less range if you go with the uh, all-wheel drive. Yeah, so the Aria is like, you know, originally in 2000, 2020, we, we were actually like getting ready for the launch of that. And that, and Nissan pushed it back almost two years. So, um you know, it's it's really like kind of a bummer because like I got into the car for the first time in a long time and I was like, oh, this is actually a really nice interior. The exterior, uh, it feels like they had something really amazing and futuristic, and then they kind of dialed the prototypes back a couple times and you know melded it with the leaf a little bit. So 
the the exterior is still certainly better than the Leaf. I think more more exciting, but it's not as cool as the original. But the interior is amazing. And you know, I was with some other EV guys, and um, they were all like, you know, like, oh, this is actually a really good car inside. It feels great. The, there's tons of space in the back. I think more than a, a Mach E or a, um, a Model Y. So, you know, it might be a sleeper hit. Like, I mean, obviously, it would have been better if it came out you know, this year or last year, but um, it's ready to go. The other big thing is uh, this is Nissan's first CCS combo charging thing, which basically put the nail in the coffin of Chatamo. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fun, not fun. It's, it's interesting to watch the the PR folks at Nissan dance around the, you know, like Chatamo is still viable for the leaf, but we thought, you know, whatever. And it's, it's, it's another dance that, you know, electrify America and EV go are doing mm-hmm. EV go, um, is here with a Nissan saying, Hey, we'll support all the leaf owners for, you know, X number of years. Um, whereas, you know, electrify America is like, yeah, we're not going to have Chatamo <laughs> going forward. Um, even yeah. Tesla's, you know, we'll have a CCS combo in a few years or you know, a few months, whatever. Um, so, you know, w- the question is what do Nissan leaf drivers do? Like as Chatamo's start disappearing in, you know, three or four years, you know, is there a conversion kit? Is there an adapter? Mm. Like, do they just, do level two, like, you know, uh, the old roadsters, like kind of where, where, where do they sit? And, you know, it's, it's a question left unanswered right now. Um, well, I can answer it for you. I think. (laughs) Okay. Go ahead. (laughs) I mean, look, look at what the the used market for the Nissan Leaf is right Right. now and look at all the battery pack degradation hasn't been great due to Nissan's reticence to to move to a thermal management system i right. think i think those I, i'm not saying that the loose leaf are going going to become useless but they're going to be mostly like city cars and the fast charging capability won't be as useful and nissan has already signaled that for new vehicles they're moving into ccs so i think the chademo standards just going to fall behind and it's going to be something to take into account if you are a leaf owner that plans to keep your car or if you want to buy a used leaf, just know that you, well, it, it was never really a long distance like road trip car anyway. Right. Um, right. Now it's just becoming even less. So with the, season. but I mean the, the 62 kilowatt leaf that's being sold right now today mm, yeah, it, with a Chatamo, I'm like, ah, that's not, that kind of sucks because yeah. you know that you've already, you already know that it's going to be but like you said, Nissan is already doing this little dance of like, yeah, this is not a useless car. We're selling it with the whole standard here. But like we, any, anyone that's watching the market knows that's you, you should you shouldn't be uh, putting a lot of money there, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, and with those pricing too, with the in, so those are U.S. pricing and with the the new incentive coming. Uh, I, I think they should they should be getting at least seventy five hundred. It sounds like so for, for at least for a few years. Uh, the, in um, no, no, that's right. Is the no the area is going to be produced in, in Tennessee too? With uh, uh, not at at the beginning, not so, at the beginning, right? Um, yeah. Eventually, though, it could be. Yeah, yeah that would make a, a, a big difference for them. But even then, I think the pricing is pretty good. So the any other well, I mean, the area wasn't really unveiled at the end of the show, but. Um, other EV unveilings at the uh, at the Elite Show was the Kia and Hyundai both came out with full size SUV electric concept. Concept being the key word here. They, uh, they these are the previews of what's coming in the Ionic and the 
well, I mean, Kia doesn't have really a sub-brand for their electric vehicles, but the EV9, uh, it sounds like it's going to be. Uh, the concept is already called the EV9, but uh, I assume it's going to transfer to the production version. And those are, are concept e-vehicle, I would say. Uh, Very concept. Yeah, I mean, the Ionic came close to what they unveil. Uh, I don't remember that they, they had a number for the... Oh, my... Uh, the image is not loading for some reason. This is not around, this yeah. is not the website's fault. This is my computer right now. Like it's thinking that's uh hanging by a tread sounds like. It looks like yeah. there's like a pong game going on at the front front of the uh the front. See how that you have like the two pong things and you have Yeah, but I mean you, like, you you have those uh headlight system. Well, I mean not not as extensive as you see here, but you, the those pixelated headlights, you have that on the Hyonic too. Uh, on the tail lights too. I mean, look at the back here. Like it's not, I mean, it's interesting, like uh, almost like uh jet like with the, the way that the, um, um, the arch uh, ends up on, on the, on the, on the back here, but uh, it's not something that you would expect really on a production car. And yeah, this, of course, this is big, not coming close to production. <laughs> yeah. The big giveaway, of course, the suicide doors, like that's it rarely makes it to production. Uh, so I don't know what's happening inside those doors here, but uh, yeah, it's like hollow, and there's like you know lighting in there. Obviously, that that wouldn't be safe for yeah. you know, side impact or anything. And there's no steering wheel or dashboard or anything. It's yeah, yeah. it's a it's a extremely concept like, but it should give you sort of an idea of what uh, Ionic full size SUV that should be coming soon. They call it the Concept Seven, so I don't know if it's going to be the Ionic Seven, probably. And um, Kia had their own thing, the uh, like I previously said, the EV9, and this one is uh, is closer, I think, to what you you'll find uh, as a production version. But uh, still, you see the oversized wheels that it looks really cool. But normally, they don't release with that. Um, the back, you can see it's closer to something you'd find in a production vehicle. Very sharp yeah. lines, a lot uh, re- reminiscent of the EV6. Mm-hmm. Of course, suicide doors. Is there even space for a battery pack in the bottom? <laughs> it looks <laughs> like forgot. it's three inches uh, thick there. I really like the lines, though. The lines are solid, in my opinion. You get those uh, little yoke steering wheel right there. Yeah. Also, don't think it's going to make it to production. Again, this is just an idea of what the production version is going to look like, which you should see uh, relatively soon. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a low bar, but at least... Kia and Hyundai brought like electric concepts to the show. Uh, and the effort, like yeah. the bar is low. If we get excited about concept vehicles, which we right. generally don't. Um, yeah, we uh, we already thought about the GM booth here. You you guys weren't impressed uh, by uh, by what they brought. After we posted this article, I did jump on a call with GM for, for something unrelated, something actually we're going to talk about in a second. But they did mention that they weren't happy about the article because they claimed that uh, the only EVs that they could have brought would have been the Bolt EV, you know, the Chevy Bolt EV and the Chevy Bolt EUV. Uh, of course, as we argue in there, they were talking about 20 EVs by 2023. So we, you would think that in an auto show, they would bring at least something more that's showing what they're going to bring. But they said that the only thing that they would have brought would have been the EV and EUV. And uh, they have restrictions right now uh, because of the fire risk that they cannot park those vehicles inside. 
So they did this argument to me that even though they have solutions to get around that right now, they have the new battery pack that they are replacing in, but they're like, it would look bad if we bring a car for the show with these new battery pack when we haven't finished replacing them for current owners, which is not a bad point. But I don't nope. think it's still justified the whole thing of having like zero EVs in, in that boot, even though they're claiming to go all electric. Yeah, I mean, bring a concept, bring like some, you know, old Camaro that somebody converted, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's or, a good point. Corvette, that's a good bring Joe Biden's Corvette, bring, you know, whatever. Yeah, at SEMA a few weeks ago, they had, they had like, they had Chevy vehicles that, that had powertrains, like, just they they were in Vegas. <laughs> just yeah. have those people bring bring them. I know that they are not always all um, owned by Chevy. Like some some of those SEMA show cars are, are are like owned by other people. But I mean, just give them a few thousand bucks and move them yeah, there exactly. for for for, for and, a week and, or two. You know, the Bolt. We talked about this earlier. If you can't bring a Bolt inside, just leave the battery. Just bring the Bolt. Like uh, you know, it doesn't need to be turned on doesn't mean need to be like uh running good, like it's just sitting there that's a good point too so what what gm announced regarding the bolt ev this morning is that uh the they're going to push a new software update and by push i mean you have to bring your car to the dealership and they upload it to you they don't have over the hair update capacity on that car yet but um so if you remember with the with, with the whole recall of the battery packs over fire risk which uh, GM finally recognized in August of this year and started the recall program. Uh, but it, it takes time, of course, because up to <laughs> recently, I think last uh, October or September, GM was still producing cars with what they believe was defective LG battery cells. So they, they had to start production of the good battery cells and then they can start the recall program. Uh, so we're still, I, I mean, they don't have any estimates, but I assume it's still going to take months to get through that program. So in the meantime, they had this software update to mitigate the risk of fire. And uh, on top of the update, they had some restrictions. So the update would limit your car's charging to 90% state of charge. And there was also a bottom uh, gap where you wouldn't go below roughly 70 miles of range uh, so that would limit a lot of what you could use in your pack and also they would tell you not to charge your car overnight and not to leave them parked inside of course because if they do catch on fire the, the the impact would be much greater if it's inside a garage or or whatever and um, that was the recommendation from GM, <laughs> but of course, a bunch of, of, of like parking garage owners and things like that were like, "We don't even want those cars there. <laughs> like, keep them away from us." Uh, so what they did is that uh, the the this new update changes the limitation to eighty percent instead of ninety percent. So you have ten percent less of the top, but they let you use the whole eighty percent. So you can theoretically driving down to zero though of course you never really want to be at zero but near zero let's say so technically you can use more of the battery pack even with that 10 percent less at the top 20 percent uh not accessible basically and with that uh so you get more range out of it technically and you uh they remove the restriction of not parking inside not now i don't know how that will translate to people actually following those restrictions. I know if I was a Bolt TV owner, I don't know if I would necessarily uh, follow that, but GM seems confident that you you, you won't have to. So they, they, they're removing that restriction of parking, parking inside. 
Um, the update is right now being rolled out to the 2019 Volt EVs because uh, GM said that uh, they, they they believe that the, there's a build windows in 2019 that is more at risk. Uh, but ultimately, the update is going to go to all Volt EVs uh, as they go through the um, recall program. So people are already being called to a dealership to uh, um, to get the battery modules replaced. But like I said, it's going to take a while. Uh, another EV that was unveiled at the uh, LA Auto Show was the Fisker Ocean Ocean SUV. Uh, so that's Fisker's latest, uh, Henrik Fisker's latest uh, electric vehicle startup. Um, they've been teasing a bunch. Well, we, we've already seen a bunch of prototype of the Ocean, but this is apparently the production version that's going to be produced next year. Uh, around this time next year by Magna out of uh, Austria, I think the yep. factory is based. And um, yeah, we we didn't learn that much uh, of the car. Like they didn't want to reveal like the range or much of the specs, but uh, we do get a look at the latest prototype, which should be basically the production version. Uh, they did release the MSRP. They were talking about thirty five thousand dollars. Now they're talking about thirty seven five hundred uh, before incentive. So this is still would be under. Uh, under thirty thousand after incentive because yeah yeah you would still get the well I, I, we're gonna get into the incentive later on but you, right right now you should you should technically get seventy five hundred for it even though it's produced in uh, in Europe um yeah I mean Fisker uh, we we had our, our we we remain quite skeptical about the company's ability to uh, to deliver due to past performance, though past performance is not always an indication of future performance, but it is, uh, it gives you a good idea. <laughs> uh, they did release this, this kind of a rough spec sheet here with the sport version being the cheapest one, uh, using LFP cells. They're talking about an estimated 250 miles of range, uh, but they didn't say that how big the batch pack will be. Then you have the Ultra and the Extreme slash ones because the one is going to be a special first edition. I think they're planning like 5,000 of them. Um, 350 miles of range, going to use the NMC uh, cell technology. Yeah, so that's one of those things that I'm skeptical about because I remember, like I've been covering Fisker for a long time, and I, I do remember just like two years ago, they were, are we going to have solid state batteries? And that's what's going to enable uh, $35,000 ocean with uh, a range of over 300 miles because we have this breakthrough solid state technology and they were also going to use the meb platform at some point weren't they the volkswagen platform i thought i i knew they were talk about it i don't think if there wasn't anything ever like officially announced Uh, but we we know that i mean engineering is not uh, historically hasn't been fisker's like strong shoot like the the old one at least so they've been looking to mitigate that with a new startup by finding like strong partners and Volkswagen. Well, Magnus is a strong partner. That, and Magnus certainly pick. is. Yeah. I mean, he is, but manufacturing mainly, like they're not necessarily like the, 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 the well, right. they do produce, they do have a powertrain division and I'm sure they are intricately involved in the powertrain right. uh, on this vehicle. But, um, yeah, I mean, the car might come to market. It might not, I don't know. Uh, we're going to keep following them closely, but uh, I, I remain skeptical on them. Yeah, but I mean, so I'm also very skeptical for the same reasons. But if if Fisker is going to succeed, um, putting 
taking the whole power train outside of the company to a established, you know, I think Magna makes the, uh, the Jaguar I-Pace. Like yeah. they built EV, like big EVs before they have a lot of experience in, in internal combustion in the past. So basically Fisker designs the, the look of it, which I think you can agree. Like we like Fisker's designs. We've always liked his designs. I'm a fan of several of his, of his designs for sure, but they, uh, they often have problems too. Like, I mean, the, the Fisker Karma was an insanely good looking sedan until you get inside. Then you get inside right. and it was, I mean, cramped up. Like, I mean, it was it looked good, but it wasn't, it wasn't fun inside at all. Uh, right. Do we have any pictures on the inside of this car? Uh, did you guys get to sit inside? Cause I just have uh, pictures on this. Uh, on yeah. This post. I, I saw people sitting inside. I kind of just peeked inside. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I should have probably. But you know, he was out there. Like we were there for two days. He was. We saw him number of, of occasions talking to analysts and different reporters. He was hustling. Henrik was. Uh, he's, you know, selling this thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a public company now. Like every right. announcement has a lot of value. I just. <sighs> There's a lot yeah, of just, there's a gold rush in the electric vehicle right. on the public market right now, and some of them are legit, some of them are not. And I'm not saying that Fisker is not legit. I'm just saying that where's the value? That's what I'm mm-hmm. looking for. I'm looking for where's the value. So Magna is going to produce those cars. I'm not even sure that they're going to be able to reach that price target. Like yes, you said like you said they have it's a good company. They have experience building EVs, but they have experience building a eighty thousand dollar, well seventy thousand dollar SUV. Uh, are they going to be able to reach a price point that Fisker is talking about? Are they going to be to reach the volume that they're talking about? Because, of course, the I-Pace is also not a very high-volume vehicle. And um, and then Magna is the, is the company to invest in at this point. It's not necessarily like, like Fisker. And so Fisker, what do they own? They own the ownership experience. They're talking about this flexi uh, subscription service where they, like, for 280 um, a month and, like, the everything is all in, insurance and whatnot, like, uh, that might convince some people for sure, but then then the experience is built around like what's the service center, like what's the the buying experience, all that stuff, and we haven't seen much of that from from Fisker yet. Not that's the hardest part of of it. I think production is, but then again, the production they don't even own that, so I just don't see the value offering in, in Fisker right now. That is strong suit was always designed, and to be honest, like. I was impressed with the prototype of the of the vehicle. I think it, it got toned down a lot with the the production version that looks m- much cheaper to me than than uh, uh, the the the, the um, than the original concept that was very sharp looking. Yeah, um, it's clear that they were they decided like, hey, we're going to go for a good price. Yeah, and it is. It's not a bad price, but. And I'm sure some people gonna. And you, you know what? What's crazy too with the the gold rush with electric vehicles on, on the public market is that you're gonna have a bunch of people that invested in in Fisker, and now they're gonna buy the the car because they invested in the company and whatnot. So that 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 might actually help. I I don't know, but I'm I'm staying away from from the stock. That's for sure. I'm not uh, I'm not touching that, unfortunately. All right, this um this other big story this week that was interesting is the GM had the opening of the factory zero it's the opening of the factory but like it was a big deal like joe biden was there but 
the production hasn't started. They're just doing the pre-production of the Hummer EV right now. So the, it's not uh, the, the opening was more like this is like a fully fledged factory now. We're still working to start production, but it, it's there. So they decided to do an opening. Uh, and Joe Biden was there and he gave a, a very long speech. Most of it had to do with the infrastructure bill that uh, was just passed on Monday. Uh, was He signed it, made it into law, so he was discussing that a lot. And, of course, the infrastructure bill has some uh, electric vehicle aspect, $7.5 billion for uh, charging infrastructure, $7.5 billion for electric buses. Uh, so that's the, the, the good stuff there. Uh, but he, he discussed also just generally – the um EV adoption in the U.S. making making uh, the U.S. a leader again in electrification, acknowledging that China has been the leader so far, which I think is a fair point. Uh, so things like factory zero would help um, U.S. Can we even say regain the lead? <laughs> I mean, there's the way. The, the lead in manufacturing of EVs, that's, let's put it like that, because, I mean, there's, they never U.S. never had the lead in EV adoption. There's no doubt about that. But in manufacturing, uh, with, with Tesla early on, I think we had the lead. But now with Tesla also, like, having their factory in China being the, the their biggest factory at this point, they, China has obviously taken over. Um, but the, very, the, the part that stuck out for a lot of people, myself included, was his mention of Mary Barra specifically as a leader in electrification, but not only a leader in electrification, as having electrified the entire auto industry. So the exact word here, so I'm not putting words in the mouth of the president, is addressing Mary Barra. You, you changed the whole story, Mary. Wherever you are, he was looking for her in the crowd. There you are. You did, Mary. You electrified the entire automobile industry. Honestly, at this point, I was thinking he's joking around. But then he followed up with, I'm serious. You led. And it matters. In drastically improving the climate by reducing hundreds of millions of barrels of oil that will not be used when we're all electric. Well, that didn't sit right with a lot of people because... (laughs) I think anyone who's following the auto industry's transition to electric transport closely, and obviously at Electric, we we are, and if you're listening to that podcast, you probably are too. Uh, it's hard to put Mary Barra as a leader in electrification. Actually, it's impossible to do it. Uh, she, she's been CEO of GM for eight years now. Um, and and I, I got but with my article on it, I got accused of being uh, sexist with that. Like it has nothing to do with Mary Barra's gender. Like I'm glad that we have a female uh, leader of a major automaker. I, I'm purely looking at her record on electrification here. And in the last eight years of being a CEO, there's only one you can consider it two with the EUV, but. The EUV has barely launched. It was in production for like two weeks, basically, before it got shut down. And uh, and also, it's basically the same car as the e, uh, the EV, which is a little bit bigger backseat. Um, there's only one EV that was launched during her reign as, as CEO, and that's the Bolt EV, which the program started in 2012 before she was a, ever a CEO. Uh, she, I think she 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 was a, I mean, elected. I don't know chosen as CEO in 2013 and she started in 2014 uh, so so 
the the only thing you can judge her on is future performance of GM here because of course there was the announcement that they're going all electric by 20, 2035 and everything like that but saying that she electrified the entire auto industry cannot cannot be more wrong I think there's <laughs> just no, no way to look at it if you want to give credit well, for, uh, first of all I don't think you can give anyone credit for that because it hasn't happened <laughs> like, it's it's happening uh, right. like actively uh, if you want to give credit to anyone, it has to be uh, Tesla. And if you want to go with the specific person, I do, even though I have my differences with Elon Musk, I do believe that he is the single person most responsible for helping uh, accelerate electric transport. Of course, it's a team effort at Tesla, too, more, more than anything. But I think it would it would make a lot more sense like if he would have said Elon Musk. Uh, yeah. Now, a lot of people have uh, I've been saying, like, oh, well, this this is like, the personal attack on Elon Musk and Tesla by, by the president. Look, the president is a politician first and foremost. He has been a politician for how long? Is it like 40 years or something? And so, yeah, if, if he was at the Ford factory opening for electric cars, he would have said, oh, Jim, Jim Farley, where, where are you at, Jim? You're there, Jim. Oh, you are responsible for electrifying the auto industry. And Jim would have been, oh, okay, sir, even though Jim <laughs> has been head of Ford for like less than a year. Right. <laughs> so, so like I wouldn't put too much weight on it. It's just that I want to make it clear because as someone myself who's extremely passionate about the electrification of the auto industry, I just don't think Marie Barra should be celebrated as an hero of that transition at all. On the contrary, even because she has made some moves that we both know is not positive for education. Right. And, and I agree with you a hundred percent. The devil's advocate case is like, well, the Chevy bolt was in, you know, 2017, the first mass market EV, you know, it kind of slid in before uh, Tesla's model three, uh, was released. Um, it had a very low price, you know, uh, obviously it was much less than the the Model S, which was kind of the big car before that. So there was a moment where, you know, the Bolt had just come out and things were looking pretty good for uh, Chevrolet and GM. But like, if anything, uh, the leadership team that Mary Barra oversaw didn't do a, a really good job with the Bolt as and, you know, like the Bolt came out in 2017, people like the satisfaction for Bolt owners like myself, I was one, was kind of off the charts. Like we were like, this is fantastic. Uh, it needs there needs to be an all wheel drive version. There needs to be faster charging. These are all things you can do. You can add all wheel drive version. You can add uh, faster charging. You can add all the things that people use. Uh, they didn't do any of that. Like uh, they had one small pack up update. Um, purely a cell update, not even. Yeah, there. it was basically LG was like, "Hey, we're not making those old cells anymore. You're gonna have to get a. You're not gonna have to." Put <laughs> and more they in. happened to be defective. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, boy. So, so yeah, uh, GM did it, it like in 2012 to 2016. Uh, the the Bolt team did an amazing job. Obviously, the uh, the LG team didn't do as an amazing amazing job with the battery pack, but. Um, from 2016 to 2020, basically Trump Trump era, mm-hmm. uh, GM's leadership team headed by Barra and, and Royce as well, um, 
pretty much back, backed off all the EV stuff in the U.S. Uh, and, you know, just started up again uh, when Biden got elected. So yeah, that, that was my point in the article. Like, if anything, you, you need to Biden needs to give credit for himself that GM is electrifying their lineup because right. who knows what would have happened if Trump would have won. Um, like maybe they'd still be suing California over the stricter emissions that forces them to produce more EVs. Maybe they wouldn't accelerate their plans with uh, new factories that they announced recently. Like, who knows? It's it's a strange situation, very strange yeah. situation. But of course, like if you want to go find like now the real reason why why, why this is all happening between Biden and and, and GM, uh, it has to do with uh, the UAW, which is is very important for both Biden and GM, for Biden and the Democrats in terms of a voting base, and for uh, GM for the worker base. Uh, they are intricately linked with the company now. It's, UAW is extremely powerful within GM. And um, they, they they negotiated themselves a sweet little deal with this new EV incentive that we're going to discuss later on too. Uh, if if it goes through the Senate now, that uh, has passed the House today. Uh, or yesterday. But anyway, uh, should we get the quick uh, read on Electrify yes. America? All right. This episode of the Electric Podcast is brought to you by Electrify America. Electrify America now re- operates the largest coast-to-coast ultra-fast charging network with more than 650 charging stations, and it's growing. It currently has plans underway for around 800 total charging stations with more than 3,500 chargers to be completed by December of this year. And it plans to have more than 1,800 ultra-fast charging stations and 10,000 individual chargers installed by 2025. That includes 50 kilowatt to 350 kilowatt chargers near highways, 50 kilowatt to 150 kilowatt chargers in metropolitan areas. The new newly launched Electrify America mobile apps now offer contactless payment along with CarPlay and Android Auto integration. And you can save up to 25% on charging with the new Pass Plus subscription plans. If you're an EV driver and want to learn more about Electrify America and its growing network of charging stations, find out what they're up to at electrifyamerica.com. That's electrifyamerica.com or hit up the link in the show notes. Thanks again to Electrify America for sponsoring this week's show. And I, asked, I should also mention, uh, we had a chance to talk to uh, Giovanni, the CEO of Electrify America this week. They've got some really cool stuff coming up. Um, I, I can't remember what's embargoed and what's not embargoed, but uh, they're going to have some destination chart, like big city chargers. So more like gas stations mm-hmm. um, in some iconic uh, places, you know, throughout the U S and, uh, you know, like imagine like an old school gas station, um, in a city and, you know, people pulling up and charging and going away just like a gas station, but, you know, more iconic old school than, you know, disgusting current gas stations. I think there's a lot to be done with the charging experience. Like I think, I think this is a very interesting market to look into. Uh, yeah, if you guys have any questions, put them in the comment section right now in uh, all caps if possible so that we know it's a question and not uh, you guys discussing between each other. We're going to get to them in just a few minutes after we discuss a few more news items that was um, important this week. So I want to get into that. If you do like uh, the podcast, please give us a thumbs up or, or a like on whatever platform you're, you're, you're listening on. Um, the algorithm loves that stuff, so it helps the show, and it's free to do. Uh, you can also give us a subscribe. That's also helpful. If you're listening on an audio app right now, 
Uh, if you can give us a five-star review, it would be very appreciated. That's, uh, that helps the show a lot. And uh, lately, we've got some attacks from, from, from people like pulling up bad reviews, promoting other shows, which, I mean, you guys are welcome to listen to anything you want. But come on, like going on, on other shows to promote in the reviews, that's just that's low, people. So if, you, if our fans can get in on that and give us five-star review, it would be super appreciated. Um, all right, let's move into some Tesla news this week. Because, uh, of course, Tesla wasn't at the LA Auto Show. Uh, yeah, they, they didn't have a boot because the LA Auto Show is one of the rare ones they generally go to, right? Yeah, they, they, uh, they've been at the LA Auto Show before. They weren't this time. Um, but they, there were some Teslas at the – they had, like, a contest, um, uh, you know, an EV uh, thing. One of our uh, friends, um, Alex Guberman from uh, E for Electric, was the presenter. And you know Tesla Model Y and Tesla Model Three won uh, their their things, so that there was actually a display of them there, but uh, mm-hmm. not official Tesla stuff. Yeah. So if you were listening to the podcast last week, at the very end, we had some kind of like a little exclusive information about um, an important uh, step coming for the Tesla Semi this week, and uh, on Monday we were able to confirm that it did happen. So. Uh, the a new Tesla Semi prototype came out to super not, sorry not supercharge mega charge at the first mega charger station that's been deployed at Gigafactory Nevada, and it coincided the uh, the coming out of this new prototype with uh, a visit from PepsiCo um, executive that came on site to, to check out the 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 truck and the mega charger, uh, and that comes out right after last week when we reported that. Uh, the CEO of PepsiCo said that he expects Tesla Semi deliveries by the end of this year, which contradict what Tesla said that customer deliveries would be next year. So we were discussing whether or not he knows something that we don't, or 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 if uh, if he's just wrong about that, because uh, of course deliveries were supposed to start not only this year but the year before that and the one before that too <laughs> originally. So the fact that he's not necessarily him himself, but we didn't know exactly which executive, but we know that PepsiCo executive were on site on Monday. And uh, funny enough, too, our Carb executive actually uh, came out to check out the Mega Charger on in uh, uh, the, the Tesla Semi on the next day on Tuesday, uh, according to sources that talked to Electric. So this is interesting because uh, Carb has some significant incentive uh, to electrify trucking in California. So maybe they were trying to like qualify uh, the 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 SMI or the uh, or the charger, and and they are involved. Also, Carb is also involved in the uh, PepsiCo Modesto facility where Pepsi plans to use these um these these trucks that Tesla is supposedly is going to deliver by the end of this year. We cannot really confirm that they're going to deliver in by the end of the year, other than what the CEO of PepsiCo said. Uh, because like I, I don't even know, maybe Tesla doesn't even know if they can deliver that by the end of this year. Um, but uh, this this new prototype has been produced at the uh, facility in Nevada. It's it's not it's not at the Gigafactory itself. It's just the building next door. So, all right. Uh, other Tesla news uh, this week. Uh, oh yeah, that was uh, that was a big one too that uh, I decided to report on on Monday. Because I think it's a significant issue and it's 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 a growing one. So in the last few weeks, I've been getting an increasing number of reports from Tesla owners that are not related to the full self-driving beta, just regular Tesla autopilot owners that had issue with phantom braking. Uh, 
Um, and then I had this issue myself uh, with the latest update. I got the 20, 21.40. Um, and, uh, and since then, I've been getting a ton on Phaeton Breeding Event, which was always something that I had to deal with. The, uh, the the it happens every now and again, but honestly, I don't have actual statistic for you and from my own experience. But they would happen maybe once every hundred kilometers, something like that. And uh, and then right after the update, the first the, the first drive I did, I did about forty kilometers, and I got six phantom break, significant phantom breaking events within that, and some that I could actually like see the actual problem with it, which uh, was just passing vehicles on the highway where there's no collision happening at all. Like there's no course to collision. But if you pass a car, uh, for some reason, the autopilot would see that as, as an issue and would actually put on the brakes quite uh, strongly too, uh, which as you can imagine is a safety issue because if you have someone following behind you, uh, you, you can get rear-ended. So with my own experience, with the reports that I've been getting from, from Tesla owners, I'm like, okay, let's, let's see if there's actual like statistic that I can look into that see that there's uh, an increasing problem with the phantom braking. Of course, we know that Tesla pulled um, two updates ago, the FSD beta update because of phantom braking issues in the FSD. And, and, um, but for regular autopilot owners, I ended up looking at the um, NHTSA complaints for specific Tesla vehicles and I saw a massive increase in the last few weeks of those complaints relating to phantom braking events uh, so so I think there's a clear issue happening right now with, with, with Tesla vehicle and phantom braking um, so something to keep in mind if you're using <laughs> the autopilot uh, I, I've seen a bunch of people like especially since I wrote this article a bunch of other people reached out and some of them started like giving me uh, advice on like oh just keep your foot on the accelerator pedal it, it negates any phantom braking yeah but it also negates uh any actual needed needs for braking because it tells you if you put your uh foot on the accelerator pedal while using traffic aware cruise control it tells you it won't break if you have to so it, then it's not traffic aware cruise control anymore it's just cruise control and also it negates the, the use of Procrator, which you're not supposed to have your foot on accelerator. So it's completely useless in my opinion. At this point, just don't don't use traffic or risk control. So I don't know. Have you have you had any experience with that, Ted? Oh, I've had quite quite the experience with phantom braking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have uh, we go to Vermont every weekend in the in the winter time, and there's this place on the Taconic Freeway that uh, you know the Taconic's kind of a parkway. It's not really a, an interstate. But, um, you know, there's some parts of it where you can kind of put on a regular um, autopilot and Mm -hmm. it takes a little bit of a load off. But there's this one bridge that we go over and for some reason the thing freaks out and like almost screeches the wheels. And we know about it. And like now, you know, we say, all right, turn off the autopilot. We're about to hit this spot where it freezes. Um, So it's, it's a reproducible like, you know, it happens quite a bit. You would think like, you know, Tesla would get the warnings and say, Oh, look, there's nothing in front of them. Um, but so I think it's really reduced our confidence and autopilot. Generally speaking. Um, I know, uh, my wife is always like, turn that off, turn it off whenever I put it on. Um, so I know FSD is going to be even a harder sell if, and when I ever see it. Um, so, 
Yeah, I, you know, it's something Tesla needs to work on. Uh, it it's a real confidence reducer, mm-hmm. and something that that uh, you know doesn't help the company at all. But have you seen uh, an increase in the number of uh, phantom breaking events that you get? No, I mean to be honest with you, uh, I haven't been driving on freeways that much for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, haven't been, and you know, my wife doesn't let me use autopilot while she's in the car <laughs> or the kids in the car anymore. So, uh, yeah, that's it's just not. I'm not getting the the mileage out of uh, autopilot that I usually do. Yeah. I, I'm just I'm I'm using this as a warning because I know a lot of our listeners and Tesla owners just to, to be careful with I, I, especially with when you're on the highway like I had this happen two or three times in the last week or so where you know when you're on the right lane on the highway and you're coming up on the ramp and you see someone coming up on the ramp that's gonna come on the highway around the same time that you're gonna pass it so you preemptively move to the left lane to give them room to pass. So I'm on autopilot, and I do that with the auto lane change feature. Move on, move to the left. So I think that way autopilot won't have to slow down for that car or to accelerate or whatever. Like this is gonna be safe. And then sure enough, that car pulls up to me on the on the right, which just when I pass it, but on the right lane, and I'm on, I'm on the left lane, so I'm completely in the clear, and the car slams on the brake right mm. when I pass it. Uh, it, it, it's a scary experience, and fortunately, the, 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 it happened two times um, last week. And both times, there was no one behind me. But if there was someone behind me, they for sure would have rear-ended me. Yeah, we would love to reach out to Tesla about this story and ask them what's going on, but we cannot do that. The only way to reach out to Tesla is through Elon Musk, and we're blocked from Elon Musk because we write stories like that sometimes. Yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, right? Uh, Model S and X deliveries have slipped now all the way to 2023. Uh, that's uh, for the cheapest version of the of, of the vehicles. Like that's that's how long the delivery timelines are right now for for these vehicles. Even though production is apparently ramping up, especially for Model X that just started uh, a few months ago. Uh, so the um, the long-range version of the Model S and X, uh, you, you have to be – we get a ton of tips. We appreciate appreciate the tips from people. Like, that's the, those keep them coming are nice. But we get a lot of tips right now because people are not aware of that Tesla modified their configurators. And they, had, they, they, they push you to the bigger wheels first now. They want you to buy the bigger wheels. So the default configuration is with the bigger wheels. So it's uh, we, we often get hey look look at the configurator Tesla increased the price or Tesla reduced the range or whatever but the look look always look at the wheels because um, Tesla pushed the bigger ones automatically but so if you choose the the base version with the standard wheels no no new paint no new accessories anything like that you get a March 2023 for the long range model S and long range model X so that's over a year almost a year and a half of the uh, of wait time. It gets a little bit faster if you if you choose the bigger wheel option. You get um, November 2022, but that's still a full year of wait. And if you go with the plaid version, that 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 goes that goes faster. Um, not for the Model X though. Model X is still I don't I don't even know if Tesla delivered any plaid Model X yet. Uh, August 2022. And for the Model S though, it's December. Like you could technically get it like next month if you choose the plaid, but that's a hundred and thirty thousand dollar car. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they're prioritizing plaid. Like, uh, yeah. you know, there's a lot, probably a lot more prop, profit margin there. Yeah, and, and people uh, have been 
sorry, people have been saying that, oh, it's the wheels, the, the actual wheels are doing the difference. It's not because Tesla wants to push more expensive wheels, is that they are not, they don't have access to smaller wheels. But that's not true because if you go with the plaid, you can even choose a smaller wheel that you can have base tendered on the Model S long range and you still get the December delivery timeline. So it's not the wheels. It's Tesla is trying to, Tesla has a ton of diamond for the car and they're trying to push you to the more expensive versions of it. That, that That's it. Which, which is fair, of course. Like you, they, they want, they want to make money out of it, but uh, yeah. And of course, this is for new orders. So if you already have a current order, uh, hopefully you can get it sooner. But market is wild right now for electric vehicles. It's uh, it's booming. Do you think Tesla would? Uh, I mean, so okay. For instance, if uh, Austin opens soon and can take some of the Model Model Y and Model 3 demand off the, I mean, that's off the charts as well. Mm-hmm. But do you think Tesla could ramp up Model S and X production in Fremont if some of the Model 3 and Y is pushed over to Texas? Well, uh, at, the, at the shareholder meeting recently, Elon did say that they're going to increase production in Fremont. But I think he was specifically talking about Model 3, Model Y too, right? I don't think, well, I mean... It, the mole S and X ramp up was always just production started in June. So there's still a ramp up going on. Uh, but no, I, I don't know. I think it's very different cars there. Like uh, the mole S and X production line are notoriously more like labor heavy than, than the mole three mole Y. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if it's that possible. And, I haven't been in Fremont for a long time, but I, I, don't, I don't even know how they can increase Model 3 Model Y production. Right. That thing is packed. Packed to the gills. Yeah. All right. Uh, a milestone for the Powerwall this week, 250,000 deliveries, this uh, installation that Tesla announced. Uh, so Tesla has been keeping us updated on that on that, numbers because, on that number because um, it, it, the only other number that they release is through their quarterly findings, and that's that's the total of energy storage deployed, and that includes the power wall, the, the power pack, and the mega pack. So we never really know power walls on that, but that's the third update in a row for our actual like milestone of installation that this a release for the power wall. So uh, we can get an idea of the installation rate that this is achieving with it because we know that they have a big backlog of order on those. Uh, in May 2020, they announced they reached 100,000. In May 2021, they announced 200,000, so that gave us an annual rate of uh, 100,000 per year. And now, uh, on November 2021, they announced 250,000, which is roughly six months too. So they are still basically at a rate of 100,000 per year. So no acceleration during the last six months. Um, you can see this is the new Powerwall Plus with the inverter on top here. Um, that's the latest version being produced. Tesla has been talking about ramping up production for that, but uh, the uh, that's dependent on, on battery cell supply. And Tesla always says that they, they, they're going to prioritize vehicle production, uh, the cell supply there. So we, we, we might be a little bit far off until we see a ramp up there, but I, I think Tesla has done that for 250,000 power walls per year if they, if, uh, if they could produce it. All right, so let, let's uh, give a quick update on the EV incentive because this is a big part of the story right now. We discussed last week like how it affects sales for for especially for cars like like GM and, and Tesla that don't have access to it right now. Like the actual um, 
implementation of of the new incentive is important because it's going to give access to to a lot of money to those people. But when when can they take re- delivery? Is there a retrofit a, a retroactive aspect to it and all that stuff? So um, right now the progress on the EV incentive this week the infrastructure bill became law, so that unlocks the seven point five billion dollars for charging infrastructure and for electric buses. So it's, it's, that that's done. Uh, now it's not a direct incentive to consumers. Uh, it, it's implemented differently, so people have to apply for it, and, every, and the companies that build those those vehicles that deploy those chargers. So th- this is not really something that affects consumers directly. Over time, it's going to be good for consumers, though. Uh, good for investors too. There's definitely companies that you can invest in that that, that would benefit from from that money. Uh, also, like a, basically any charging infrastructure company in the U.S., um, bus companies, electric bus makers, and, and so forth. Uh, but for consumers, the bigger bill here is the Build Back Better Act. That's what we're keeping an eye on. And uh, today it passed the House. So that's a big step, an important step. But now it means that it moves to the Senate. And the Senate was already working on a different version of the bill. So we, we might see some changes by the time it passed from the Senate. And I've seen uh, the, the big questions, of course, what's the timeline? What's the timeline? What's the timeline? And... Um, I've seen a bunch of different timelines. Some people think that's how it's going to be done in a few weeks. Some people think uh, it's still a few months of negotiation before it can pass the Senate and get to President Biden's uh, desk for signing into law. So we're not we're not anywhere near a uh, final version yet. But as of now, the version that passed the House uh, was the same one that we discussed a few weeks back. Is the one that's seventy five hundred dollars uh, over over ten years. Uh, so, so removing the two hundred thousand delivery cap, uh, then you have five hundred more for a U.S. made battery pack, and then you have the forty five hundred more for uh, an electric vehicle coming out of a union factory, a factory where the natural phrasing is a factory where the workers um, have a collective bargaining deal with the automaker. Then. Um, then you have some limitation in term of uh, the the prices of the vehicles, but they are extremely uh, uh, where they they are, they are extremely generous. Uh, Eighty thousand for vans, SUVs, and trucks. So Fifty five thousand for sedans. Like it's not going to be a a big hurdle. Uh, the there's a cap for the incomes though. So gross incomes two hundred fifty thousand dollars or less for individual five hundred thousand for jo- joint filers. Uh, that that might be something that get changed in the Senate because that has been uh, described as like a, a tax credit for the rich. Speaking of the tax credit versus um, direct incentive at the purchase um, at the they call it the point of sale incentive. Uh, the way that the bill is set up, uh, it would become a point of sale. At least it can be used as a point of sale incentive. But starting in 2023, the way the bill is set up right now, there's no retroactivity of the of the incentive. It would start on December uh, after December 31st, 2021. So for every electric vehicle delivered in 2022, and for every, every electric vehicle delivered in 2022, it would be a tax credit. So on your taxes that you're going to pay in 2023, you would get a tax credit. Uh, and then starting in 2023, there's there's language in the bill that make it sound like it could become a point of sale. 
So that's where we're at. But now with the Senate and what's the, what's the dude's name that uh, has been Manchin. Manchin. Yeah, has made it clear that he doesn't like the union aspect to it, which he's not he's not alone. That's actually something that I agree I agree with him. Um, that it just it just doesn't make sense, and it's not about being pro union or not. It's not even about that for him. It's about that for for sure. <laughs> That's for him, it's about he's always in the wrong the wrong area. He's always in the wrong. Yeah, but actually, in this case, right. uh, uh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, yeah, that, that's 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 a fair point here. Um, so the 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 way to look at it, I think, it's like okay, forget about Tesla, forget about Toyota, and all the, like, the people that are agreeing against it. Let's just take automaker A, automaker B. Okay, let's say that automaker B happens to have a factory producing electric vehicles that with a union. Uh, workers are unionized. Factory A, okay, doesn't have a union force workforce, but employees in the fact in the in the company A vote to unionize, and the vote doesn't pass. Most people are actually happy with the condition, the working condition, and they don't want to pay union dues, and they don't think they're gonna get value out of that, and they decide not to pass it. So assuming, of course, there can be external factors like shenanigans and to, to play with the vote. But assuming there's none of that, assuming that everything is fair play, they vote against it. Now, buyers of vehicles coming out of that factory are penalized because the workers there don't want to be unionized. It makes no sense whatsoever. So you cannot have that as a... As a a condition for 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 giving more money of, of tax rate. It, it makes it makes no sense. Um, it's it, it's purely uh, political at this point, and it's purely to, a bonus for UAW uh, uh, for, for 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 voting Democrats at this point. Uh, you know, I I agree with you. I hadn't really thought of that uh, particular line of thinking, but mm. when you when you put it that way, it it makes it all the more. It makes it mm. almost like you should give more to non-union shops, right? <laughs> because I, like, hey, they, the, the workers were like, hey, we don't really need a union to yeah. deal with our employer. Yeah, it, it's wild. Of course, like, that's why I use company A, company B, because like you have to assume that there's no shenanigans going on because if you use Tesla, for an example, and Tesla make it sound like no, our employee doesn't want to unionize, they are stockholders and everything, so like we, we treat them fairly. But then there's this accusation from the um, what's the board of workers in California? I don't, I don't remember the name, but they, they they were accused in court that to to uh, to curtail unionization effort illegally uh, and things like that. So of course, if you, if you take that into account, like uh, it, it murkies the it makes the water murkier. But but as, assuming that's the case, and it's completely reasonable to imagine. Uh, factories of workers that don't want to unionize and they're happy with their their their, their uh, co- working condition. Like it, it's completely possible. It exists in the world. <laughs> but Toyota claims the same thing. Toyota does not like, of course, they're not producing electric vehicles. But uh, and I haven't heard much from unionization effort from Toyota workers in, in the U.S. Right? There probably but, was, but yeah. I mean, all of the kind of 
foreign companies who come here kind of come here because they don't want to deal with unions. Like obviously all the German companies have their own unions. Yeah. Um, so, and then I think there's also uh, in Japan, there's also mm. auto unions are pretty strong. All right. Uh, should we jump into the comment section? Yep. Let's do that now. Um, Luke Miller, uh, Seth, you met up with Kyle from uh, Out of Spec Videos and Inside EVs. Can you guys do a podcast together one time? Uh, I think they they invite. So uh, there's obviously a lot of uh, other auto journalists here. Uh, they invited us to go on their podcast a few times. I think we were actually like callers at one point, you know, or they called it whatever. Oh, no, they were discussing uh, would, one of my articles at one point, so I jumped into the comment section, but I wasn't really on the podcast or anything. Right. So uh, I think uh, we'd love to go on theirs. They can come on ours. We'll, we'll work that out. Mm-hmm. I know uh, we'd love to have Tom log me on. Uh, he's been a, a good friend for a while um, as well. as yeah. uh, Tom knows his, his EVs. Yep. <laughs> it's charging for sure. Yeah, it's charging too. All right. Scrolling down a little bit. Uh, Todos Electronico says, how can the Fisker Ocean reach a price point below the SR Plus with similar range and an SUV form factor? That's a fair question. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think there's the, some subsidization going on. Subsidization. I mean, the Tesla is no, like, because Tesla cannot do it doesn't mean other people can't either. Uh, but it's safer to assume that other people can because Tesla has a lot of experience uh, producing EVs in mass volume compared to uh, to any other company, especially Fisker and even Magna, really. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fair point. <laughs> That's what we've been discussing, really. All right. Uh, any news speaking of Fisker? Any news on Fisker in Europe? I mean, the car is going to be produced in Europe, so it would make sense for them to deliver them too. But again... Fisker like the the subcontracted the production of it, so they're gonna own the the like service experience and selling experience. So like that's what you've been if you're invested into the the, the Fisker story, uh, you, you need to look out for that them them deploying that because it's the same thing with, with any other automaker that doesn't use the dealership models like like Tesla. Tesla doesn't. I mean, it, there is some Teslas in market where Tesla doesn't have a service and charging infrastructure. But uh, the uh, it's not a good experience for for the bottom. Well, it's manageable. There some people do it. Some hardcore fans they import their own cars and everything. But it's uh, it's hard. All right. Here's an interesting question from Facebook. Uh, Mor- Morgan Sauerbrunn asks: Is there anything that can be done to make EVs more appealing, better marketed towards women buyers, drivers? Um, and she knows that she's not. Re- you know, she's asking two guys. So we don't really have any <laughs> firsthand experience. Um, I was actually uh, talking to Electrify America uh, leadership. And uh, one of the things they did allow us to talk about is that they're putting um, solar canopies over uh, some of their charging stations. Although, you know, the very small solar ca- canopies that aren't going to account for, you know, direct charging. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that it does do is it lights up the charging area a little better, which makes it safer for everyone, you know, including mm-hmm. uh, women who might, you know, worry about, uh, uh, you know, being approached and being the approached or weirdos or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's one thing, uh, getting better lighting at, uh, Tesla superchargers would be mm-hmm. a nice thing to have. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much you can do really for for, for for women. I mean, I know that you, there's a lot of data and like what kind of cars women versus men buy. So as more EVs become available throughout all segments of the industry, there's going to be more options that are historically more attractive to, to women. But of course, like that, there's, there's a wide spectrum of that. Like there's some women that like muscle cars or they're like the classic was like a women or, or, or big SUV buyers, like safety they they're big and safe they're useful but i mean and there's i don't i don't think that's that's the difference between an electric vehicles and, and and gasoline ones like form factors are going to be very similar at the end it's just a powertrain experience uh, one thing that i've heard a lot though is if we go back to the charging experience uh cable management some some uh, some of the cables are hard to manipulate at times and smaller people which often are women fall in that category sometimes uh it's harder to 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 literally manipulate the cable that are thick like liquid cool and everything they they're hard to do especially in the winter when things get cold uh so uh, having um uh French say suspendu when it, when it when it's over the, the the cable falls down from over the, the the top of the of the charging station uh, so that it's easier to manipulate you don't have to basically yeah. lift it up to get it to the the, the charger uh, some a lot of the stations are coming out like that uh, and that that's helpful I think for well again not just for women like you said <laughs> like the lights it's helpful for everyone but yeah um, but in terms of the buying because he says buying and driving I mean. Uh, yeah, I mean, know. you know, outside of Tesla, uh, going to a car dealer uh, isn't fun for anybody, male <laughs> or female. But, um, you know, maybe uh, it just seems like it's kind of a, a boys club sometimes when you go to like a uh, I don't want to keep putting down Chevy. But like when I bought my <laughs> Bolt, I don't think there was one woman there. Um, and they so, say, so, so talk to your husband about it and come back and uh, and we'll sign the paper. <laughs> like yeah, the that classic. Kind of <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's just, it, it's crappy. And, and, and I know like, you know, Volvo has like, you know, advertising for the XC40 that's pink. I don't think that's going to help any <laughs> woman. Like, like that's not what women want. I know that much. I don't know much else, but, um, so yeah, I would love to hear, uh, other people. I mean, I've, I've seen a ton of, uh, women driving Teslas and, and I know the, the VW ID4 is very popular as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I would love to hear more about what people think. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, roll of 20 says if they can't solve phantom braking for autopilot, then FSD level four or five is still years and years away, maybe a decade. Yeah. Well, uh, on that front, I mean, that's, that's a a fair point to a degree, but, but my concern was more, uh, this is like, and it's not a new new problem. There's always been a degree of phantom braking, but this seems to get worse, especially if we look at the reports. And some people have associated it with the change to vision based, but my car is not vision based. I mean, like uh, it's it's just a, or unless they they pushed it in the last update without telling us. Um, so. Uh, so, so it, it could be something that can be literally revert. If I just go back to the last update, I, I shouldn't get as much of an issue with it. So uh, I, I don't see that as a big hurdle for FSD, but not that I'm confident that FSD is anywhere near uh, close to happen. I mean, through FSD, I mean. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> 
yeah, uh, full self driving, through self driving. Like we, the way we talk about that stuff is so complicated these days. Like self driving yeah. is self driving. Whatever beta Tesla has right now is is fun. It's impressive, but it's not self driving. All right, one last defense of uh, my <laughs> comment on Joe Manchin being wrong, even when he's right. It's a silly thing to say. What what I mean is that you know more like the clock, a broken clock is right twice uh, a year or some other thing. I think um, you mean right from but for the wrong reasons. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so let me go back up to Greg. I think his question was skipped, or I don't see it. Oh uh, yeah, no, I think it, didn't it, it didn't. It didn't come true. So Greg, unless you're quick to post it real quick, uh, well, will we have another one. Oh, Sono Motors. Uh, yeah, Eli Duchamp says if Fisker is not a good company to invest in. What about Sono Motors? Uh, we had a uh, really lovely uh, meeting with people at Sono take us around on the car. Um, the car didn't really inspire a ton of confidence for us um, in our particular drive. I don't. Can you say? Yeah, I mean, they look like uh, good people, smart people. So that's the main thing. You when you want to invest in a company, you, you you want good leadership. And I think I think they have that. Um I don't see their car happening in any form that's gonna be successful right now. Um I think there's value in the company though as a a, a third party installer of or supplier of solar system and inverter for moving vehicles. I think that's an interesting thing that can happen. And I know they have third-party deals with uh, trailer companies, trucks. And I think that's a big market that that, that there's value in it. But um, I, I haven't looked in the details of the financial of Sono Motors. I know they had a big day, a big opening this week on the stock market. Like they, they went up like 200% or whatever. Um, so, so I don't know if, if it's worth investing at this point, but I, my my two cents would be if you think about investing in a company, um, put a don't put a big premium on their car business, but uh, look at their um, what, what do you call that? Like a supplier, basically as as a supplier of solar system for for electric vehicles. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised. Uh, I think the market cap for them is now four billion, which yeah, that's, uh, that seems pretty, high to me. Pretty uh, early for that kind of. Yeah. All right. All that's right. It. All right. Thanks a lot, everyone, for listening. Thanks a lot for watching on your on your YouTube and everything. Uh, give us a thumbs up if you can. That's uh, good for the algorithm. Algorithm. That's a hard word to say for me. And um, yeah, uh, thanks a lot for Electrify America for sponsoring the show this week. And we're gonna see you same time, same place uh, next week. Have a safe week. Bye bye.